Hello, everybody. This week's parish is Parashas Vayera. And the parish begins, Akash Baruch appears to Avram Avinu Be'eloine Mamri. And Rashi says, why is this place, why is it important to mention the name of the place was Eloine Mamre? Because Rashi, because Mamre was one of Avram Avinu's friends, and he's the one who gave him the advice, the Eitza, to do bris milah. Now, it sounds like from Rashi that Avram Avinu, even after being told by Akash Baruch to go and do the bris milah, he went around and asked people for their advice. Do you think this is a good idea? Is this not a good idea? What are the pros or the cons? And all the Mepharshim struggle that Avram Avinu is the greatest servant of a Kaddish Baruch whoever. What is he going around asking people for their opinion to listen to Hashem or not? So I saw a very interesting idea by the author of Kelm. He explains as follows. He says that there's two ways to deal with a Nisayan, to deal with a struggle, a person because Baruch tells a person to do something, a person is given a mitzvah, a person knows there's something he has to do, but he doesn't want to do it. It's difficult. So there's two ways to do it. A person can either hype themselves up and say, I'm going to do it no matter what, and just plow through it and get it done. And he says this is a very, very important way of dealing with difficulties, and it's done many, many times, especially, he says, if someone has to give up their life, a person is put in that situation, a person can't think, a person just jumps in and does what he has to do. It's an emotional response. You just overpower your logic. You just do what you have to do. That's what Hashem said. But there's another way of dealing with things, which is harder, which is that a person can rationally control himself, think something through, and come to the conclusion that despite all the different reasons back and forth, he thinks it through, and he decides, I'm going to do this no matter what, in a cool and a calm manner. It may take more time, but he's, he's going to do it no matter what, and he's convinced, and he does it in a slow and a calm manner. And he says that although the second one is harder, there's a lot of times where it's more beneficial because he says you find that many times, unfortunately, people, whether they become gay or me, people who convert, and they, they go through extreme difficulties to go through a conversion. It's very, very difficult. They have to give up a lot. They're literally cutting themselves off from their family, and they're coming into a strange nation. Or even Bali Shuva, he says, who they can go through a lot of difficulties to become from. And they do amazing things to make that happen. But then, as they go through regular life as a firm person, 5, 10, 15 years in, they see themselves struggling with small struggles, and they're failing. The Yitzhahara can come and tell them to sleep in an extra 10 minutes and Mishachers, and they'll fall for it. What happened? Where was that crazy levels of Messiah's Nefesh they had in the beginning? It says the Altar of Kelm, because in the beginning, it was exciting. It was something they're emotionally excited about. They had that burst of energy, and then Messiah's Nefesh would do it, but the ability to get through the daily grind and the tough struggles is a different challenge. And Avram Ravinu wanted to pass both Nisayinus. So Avram Ravinu already gave himself over in the Kibbush and the Eish. He threw himself into the fire for the sake of Gaj Barakul. He did this emotional Messiah Snefesh type of struggle. But now he was even given another test. Gaj Barakul said, go do Mila. And Avram Ravinu wanted to push himself. You know what? I'm going to go and ask every guy what are the pros? What are the cons? And people are going to try to convince me out of it. And I'm going to push through it no matter what. I'm going to think it through and I'm going to say, even if people say this, no, it's still the right thing to do. And he's going to come to it through an intellectual understanding. And he's going to be able to control himself even when there's going to be, you know, doubt, knowing in his mind. He's going to have to push himself past it through a slow and careful and calm conviction. And that's a higher level of, so to speak, embracing the tzivu of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a calm and calculated way. And that was what Avram Avinu was trying to do by asking the Eitzah of Mamre. Now he said, 
although the other people, in fact, convinced Avinu, tried convincing him not to do it. But Mamre said, no, Akash Baruch said to do it, you do it no matter what. And that's why Mamre was given the schus that he didn't, so to speak, try convincing Avinu out of it. And he told him to do it, and therefore he's, 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 he's mentioned for the good Eitzah that he gave. So the parasha describes that after Avinu got the bris, he's sitting there waiting by the door of a tent, looking for passerby, and Torah zooms in on this story of Avinu's chesed with the malachim, and Mepharshim tells us, obviously Avinu did many, many, many acts of chesed, probably countless thousands of acts of chesed throughout his life, but there's something unique about this story of the act of chesed is because Avinu was in a place where, you know, he was he was injured, so to speak. He was he was recovering from his surgery. He was in a very difficult spot, and there was nobody outside. There was no one who needed him. So he was at a point where he had every excuse not to do chesed. He had to take care of himself, and there was no one who even needed the chesed at that point. But still, Avramino is sitting there yearning to do chesed because Avramino is reaching a madrega where he doesn't just do acts of kindness for other people because he feels bad for them. He's, he's past that. He reached a level of Akash Baruch Hu, where Akash Baruch Hu created a world because he wanted to do good. Akash Baruch Hu wanted to do good, so he made a world to do good to it. Aaron became a level where he wanted to do good so badly that he was looking for a, a place where he could do good, even if there wasn't a need in front of him. And that's why Terror zooms in on this act of chesed. But that being said, if you look in the Pasuk, the Pasuk says interesting. When he finally meets these malachim, and he tells them to come, and he says, you know, he's, Yukach no take a little bit of water, wash your feet, and sit under the under the tree. And then he starts giving them bread and tongues, and he starts making a whole feast for them. And everyone wants to know, what's this expression of Yukach no Take a little bit of water. Everything else, Aaron is going all out. He's giving them, each guy gets his own cow, his own tongue, bread, this, that. But it comes to water, he says, just take, take a little bit of water. So I heard two interesting shatim. The Sefer Leib Shalom from Shalom Shadron, he says, because Rashi tells us, what's this water for? Because the dust on their feet, Rashi says, these, these were these were Yishmaelim who used to worship the dust on their feet. Whatever that means, why you would worship dust on your feet. But that being said, it's a form of Vaidazara. So, Avram's trying to be polite. He's not saying, look, let's hose you guys down. You're full of Vaidazara. He's saying, just take a little bit of water and just clean yourself up a little bit. It's a nice, a nice polite way to give someone a little chizik. Let's, let's clean you up a little bit. But there's a famous shot that's said over the name of the Chavetz Chaim, the Sefer Chavetz Chaim Al-Tayra, that we all know the story with the Rishol Salanter. Rishol Salanter was one time in a house. He came to visit somebody. And he was washing his hands for the meal for the for the, for, for, for the And he washed with a very, very small amount of water. He took just the halachic, you know, minimum required amount. And he washed his hands for the bread. And the person nearby asked him, he's like, I don't get it. You know, Shulchan Aruch says if you wash a lot of water, it brings a lot of bracha. The more you wash, the, the more water you use, the better it is. So why aren't you being machmer? Why are you just taking just a pure minimum amount? So Shulchan told him, he said, you know, look, the water comes from somewhere. There's the girl, the maidservant. She goes and she pumps the water from the pump and she schleps the water here. So I can't be machmer and do a chumrah at her expense. She's going to have to go and get more water for this. And therefore, I wash the minimum amount. In my own house where I'm pumping the water, I can wash with, with as much water as I want. But at her expense, I have no right to do chumras. Says the Chavaz Chaim, Rashi says, Yukach no ma'amayim, says Rashi, Avram Vinu was saying, take it, Avram Vinu got the water from a shliach. He had one of his servants bringing the water. 
And therefore, our Avinu said, just take a little bit of water. Because when it comes to someone else doing the favor, when he has his servant doing the favor, he's not going to go all out and say, take as much as you want, because it's not right to make the servant work harder. It's only the stuff he's doing himself, which is shechting the animals and making the tongues. There he's going to say, take as much as you want, because there he has a right to the machmer on himself. So further the parasha describes how the malachim tell Avram how Sarah is going to have a kid in a year, and Sarah laughs. And Akash Baruch comes to Avram Avinu and tells him, you know, Sarah laughed, why did she laugh? And Avram goes and rebukes Sarah. And the whole parasha is very difficult. I always had two very, very bothersome questions on this part of the parsha. First of all, we know that Sarah was a Nevi'ah. She was a prophetess. So why not Akash Baruch come to her directly and tell her, you know, rebuke her for laughing. Why is, she go, why, is, why is Hashem going to Avram and telling him about Sarah's laughing? And number two, just the whole conversation, when Avram rebukes Sarah, Avram tells her, why'd you laugh? Sarah says, I did not laugh. Avram says, yes, you did. Why is Tara telling us this? Like, it almost sounds like, you know, it was an awkward moment for Sarah. For some reason, Sarah denied what she did, and Avram tells her that's not true. What are we supposed to learn from all this? What's the message in this parasha? So on the first question of why did Hashem tell it to Avram, and not tell Sarah directly. I found last year in the Safer Sorry I Love Him from Ephraim Torsky, he brings up shot that someone told him by his Sharabrachis that the reason why Hashem goes to Avram and tells him why is Sarah lacking in her Amuna and why is she not why is she laughing when she hears his bracha? Because the Torah wants to tell Hashem wants to tell Avram that Avram Avinu, the Amuna in your house, the level of Amuna in your house, that's your responsibility. If Sarah's lacking in her amuna, that means you're not doing your job properly. It's upon you, the husband and the man of the household, to imbue the house with the amuna of Hashem. And Sarah should be, the second she hears something, even though it sounds so far-fetched, she should say, Amen, because maybe it'll happen. Who knows? How I? Maybe Akash Baruch will do it for me. And it's you, Avram. It's your responsibility to bring in more amuna into the house. And that's why Akash Baruch told to Avram, not to Sarah, because it's Avram's responsibility to make Sarah, help Sarah grow in her amuna. Now, that's in the first question. On the second question, I was still looking, and this year I found in the Sefer Chavetz Chaim Al-Terra, they bring in this, the Chavetz Chaim in Igris, in letters, he says a very interesting thing. He asks this question, what's the, what's the point of saying over this conversation between Sarah and Avram, and Sarah refusing, kind of saying that she, she, kind of denying that she didn't believe, and then Avram saying, you did. And he says a very, very, almost a frightening thought. He says that the Torah, we know, tells us that everything that happens to the Avis, Maisa Avis is a similar abanim, is a sign for what's going to be with Klaistral in the future. And he says that Klaistral, we know, is in Gullus for many, 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 many years. And there's going to point where the Gemara tells us, the Sanhedrin, that all the Kitsim, all the Ketsis already have passed, and the only thing left is Chuva. The only thing holding back is Chuva. And he says there's going to come a time when there'll be big Tzadikim in the generation, and they're going to get it. They're going to get a rule of and They're going to understand that Mashiach is waiting for us, and we just have to do tshuva. And they're going to come to the people and tell them, Rabbi said, we just have to do tshuva. We have to up our game. We have to become better. And Mashiach's ready to come. And he said, there's going to be people who are not going to believe them. They're going to be like Sarah, and they're going to. They can't. They can't. Now, of all times, I've been waiting for hundreds and thousands of years already. I've been waiting for the Mashiach. We've been through so many horrible things. Why now would he come? They just can't. They can't process it. And then they're, they're just okay, another Mashiach thing. Another Mashiach thing. Come on, every time something happens, everyone says Mashiach. And they're going to have the same response that Sarah had. Is that they, just can't, they can't process that now Mashiach could come. And he says that Gosh Baruch is telling us that he's going to tell, he's going to hold us responsible. He's going to come to us and, 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 and mun us and, and, and rebuke us for, for not believing, 
for not taking the opportunity and not saying amen. Yes, let's do tshuva, and Hashem Mashiach will come, and we could do it, and we have to believe in it. And that's the message Torah is trying to tell us, is that there's going to be this same conversation in the future, during the times of the Geula, and we have to make sure not to make the same mistake, and to yes, believe that Mashiach could come if we do the tshuva, and even though it's been a long time, and even though there's been so many things going on throughout the generations, but this time, Mashiach could come if we do the right tshuva. Afterwards, the Malachim go, they head over to Staim. And Rashi, in the beginning of the parasha, told us that three angels came to Avram Ravina, three Malachim. And Rashi explained why. Because one's job was to mevaser Sarah. One was to say the news that Sarah was going to have a child. One was to flip over Staim, and one's job was to reheal Avram Ravina. So that's why later only two go to destroy Staim because the one that was already you know, meant to mevaser Sarah, to tell Sarah the news, he wasn't needed anymore. And the one that was healing Avram was going to, to stay him to save Light. The Sefer Chazani Cheskel, sorry, Sefer Oyel Maisha, he brings the name of the Chazani Cheskel, and the name of Chazani Abramsky, he asked a very basic question. He said, so I don't understand. When Malachim come to Avram Avinu, why did the angel who destroyed Stoyim have to come along? There was only two angels necessary at that point. One was to tell Sarah, and one was to heal Avram. Malachim don't have group flights. It's not cheaper for them to, to fly as a group, to go to Avram and then you know, walk over to Zdaim afterwards. Why is the angel who's destroying Zdaim, what's he doing by Avram Avinu's house? And he says a very, very fundamental thing. He says that the angels are going to go destroy Zdaim. Why? Because Zdaim has become so rotten and so perverted that it's, it has to be destroyed. But the Malachim are going to come to and they're going to say, Hashem, we can't destroy Zdaim. We told you when you wanted to make man, we said to you, you can't make man. He's so rotten. There's no chance. What do you want from him? How can you destroy man and punish him for what he's done? <clears throat> you know you put a Yitzhahara in a person. You know you made him so physical. How can you destroy him? What did he do wrong? He's made this way. Says because Baruch who sent that angel that's destroying Stoim, he has to go down to earth and see Avram Avinu first. He has to say it's not true. A human being can become as great as Avram Avinu. A human being is so full of potential that he can become as high and as holy as Aravinu, who's sitting there in pain, and he's all he can think about is how can I do chesed for somebody else? He can be the total polar opposite of Stein. And he had to see that the angel had to see that first before he can go and destroy Stein, because that's the only way he can hold Stein accountable is if you see how high a person can really be. And this is a message for all of us as parents, because you see, our children. They have to have role models. They have to know what a person could be. It's our job to show them where they can reach. And if they can see from us what a person could be and what to strive for, then they have a vision of what they're working for. And that's what the terrorist time is. That you have to make, you have to give a person what to measure up to, what he's looking for. A child, by statistics, always, you know, there's, there's a certain, so to speak, you know, goal what he's supposed to reach. He can either overreach it, he can underreach it, but that's the starting point. And that's our job as parents is to set that bar as high as we could so that our children can hopefully overreach it, but at least have what they're aiming for. And we should all be Hashem to truly set that goal high. I want to end off with one, a question really. I don't have a good answer to it. Something that's bothering me. If you do see an answer to this question, please let me know. Um, Towards the end of the parsha, after the whole story with Light and his daughters, Avramino heads to Eretz Plishtim. He goes to Eretz Plishtim, and Rashi says, "Why did Avramino leave? Why did he go now to Eretz Plishtim?" 
So Rashi gives two reasons. Rashi says either because he was, so to speak, so embarrassed and so ashamed of being associated with Light after Light did what he did with his daughters, Avrinu kind of wanted to move far away from him. So he went to Eretz Pushtim. Or because Rashi said, because Stoyim was destroyed, there's no one around who Avrinu could do chesed for. All the passerbys are gone, that the whole area was desolate. And therefore, Avrinu went to Pushtim because there he can do his chesed again. Now, what's bothering me is, is that Aramina goes to pushed him, and before he goes, he tells Sarah the same drill that he did before they went to Mitzrayim, which is that, look, we're going into a land of people, you know, that they're going to try to kill me in order to marry you, to say you're my sister, and sure enough, they do take his wife, and there's a whole story of David Melech. So Aramina's going into a place which he knows is a, is a really not a nice place. They might kill him for his wife. He tells his wife to say she's, you know, not his wife, and she might be you know, living with another man. He's going into such a terrible situation. What for? Is it worth it to go to Eretz Plishtim to go through all that for the sake of not being associated with light or to do chesed? I don't know. This is something I don't I don't understand. If you find that in the talks by receiving anybody who mentions it, please let me know. We should all have a wonderful Shabbos.